0: I'm John Dauberstein, Senior Editor at No-Till Farmer Magazine, and welcome to the latest edition of our 2017 No-Till Farmer podcast series. Today's program, The Importance of Sulfur and Tips for Utilizing it for Your Crops, is brought to you by TopCon Agriculture. I encourage you to subscribe to this series currently available in iTunes, the Google Play Store, SoundCloud, Stitcher Radio, and TuneIn Radio. Subscribing will allow you to receive an alert about upcoming episodes when they're released. If you have another app you use for listening to podcasts, let us know and we'll make an effort to get it listed there as well. I'd like to take a moment to thank TopCon Agriculture for sponsoring today's episode. From planting to precision machine control, Norex boom height control, monitoring and mapping to data management, TopCon Agriculture offers a total set of solutions to maximize your agronomic plan. Find out how to make the most of your 4R nutrient stewardship with precision technology that is unmatched in ease of use. Visit topcompositioning.com backslash growing solutions to learn more about how TopCon Agriculture application solutions make agronomy work for you. There's a lot of discussion about the significance of sulfur in crop production. As it turns out, there's less and less of this valuable nutrient found in the environment today, and that can have a negative effect on crops. Sulfur plays a significant role in plant protein, nodulation in legumes, seed and chlorophyll production, rooting ability, and disease protection. In spite of this, sulfur may be the second most neglected no-till nutrient behind calcium, says Neil Kinsey. In this podcast episode, the Charleston, Missouri fertility expert will discuss the need for sulfur in a no-tillers nutrient plan to raise high yielding crops, sulfur's behavior in the soil profile, deficiency symptoms, and the best way to make sulfur available to your plants. Now let's listen in as Kinsey discusses the reasons no-tillers are seeing more sulfur deficiencies in their crops today, how sulfur interacts with other essential nutrients, The benefits sulfur provides to crops and whether or not manure is a good sulfur source for your fields
1: when we start looking at uh, sulfur the deficiencies are increasing why because yields are being pushed higher the higher you go the more sulfur you're going to use less sulfur is included incidentally in fertilizers and pesticides and so forth and We've eliminated high sulfur coal as the real sulfur source in the Midwestern United States. East of the Mississippi River, most fertilizer dealers are afraid of sulfur. West of the Mississippi River, well, when you get out west, there are people out there who put a lot more sulfur on than they do phosphorus. All I'm saying is, if, if we'll make a recommendation for a horse pasture for 20 pounds of sulfur and the fertilizer dealer east of the Mississippi won't put it on, he said, that'll kill your, plant. That'll kill your grass. No, it won't, 200 pounds won't kill it, if you already got it growing. But I'm not saying you need 200 pounds, I'm just saying don't be afraid to put sulfur on because whether it's elemental sulfur or sulfate sulfur. Sulfur in amounts up to 50 to 100 pounds. As long as you broadcast it, you're not gonna hurt anything unless you have everything just perfect. And then when you put sulfur on that you don't need. Sulfur takes something out as it goes. It never does go out of that soil by itself. When it leaches away, it takes something with it. And as a rule, what it takes with it is whatever you have in excess, as long as the calcium's above 60% saturation, if you've got an excess of potassium, if you've got an excess of sodium, if you've got an excess of magnesium, that sulfur is gonna take out the excess. It's not gonna take out, it's not gonna take out the ones that are where they need to be until it gets rid of the excess. It's just the way it works. You can measure it on a test. It works that way. If you have an excess of calcium, sulfur takes it out. If you have an excess of magnesium, sulfur takes it out. If you have an excess of of potassium or sodium, sulfur will take it out, but the last three, magnesium, potassium, and sodium, it only gets taken out if you have enough calcium. If you don't have enough calcium in your soil and you put sulfur on and that sulfur moves through, guess what it takes with it? Calcium. Until you get 60% saturation of calcium in the soil, sulfur won't take out anything else because calcium does exactly the opposite of what magnesium and potassium and sodium do to a soil. Calcium causes the clay particles to flocculate or aggregate or clump up. And as that calcium is put on, it actually increases the porosity of your soil. You increase soil porosity by increasing calcium levels. But magnesium and potassium and sodium do exactly the opposite. They disperse clay particles. What does that mean? It means they push them more apart and it reduces, it reduces your capillary action, it reduces the pore space in that soil. Too much magnesium makes a soil tighter, too much potassium makes a soil tighter, too much sodium makes a soil tighter. If you start looking at any one of those soils that has an excess of those, the higher it goes, the harder it is for that water to get in. Because all three of them disperse the clay particle. They tighten the soil, they actually reduce the porosity. Why plants need sulfur? You need sulfur for plant protein. If you got a wheat crop and you're wondering how do I get the protein up? Most of the time, if you're, only, if you're not adding good amounts of sulfur, most of the time that's the key to getting protein up. We've got we've had fellows that'll have 11% protein in their wheat, get the sulfur levels up, they get up to 14, 14.5% protein. If you get paid on protein, some areas where we live, you don't necessarily, nobody talks about how much protein is in the wheat because you just get paid on bushels. But you know, in some areas, They're looking for the quality. They're looking for the protein. Helps develop enzymes and vitamins. You gotta talk to a plant pathologist about that because I don't know all that. Promotes nodule formation in legumes. You gotta have good calcium to have nodulation in legumes. But how many people we've had say, we'll check their soil, they got good calcium levels, but they still don't get get good nodulation on their legumes. Take a look at where your sulfur levels are. We've seen alfalfa crops that don't get good nodulation, don't get good protein, come in and correct the sulfur? And what what is correcting the sulfur? Well, we'll get to that a little later, but you always want a minimum of 20 parts per million sulfur in any soil. That's absolute minimum, how much 20 parts per million? Parts per million times two is pounds per acre, that means 40 pounds of sulfur. If you're less than that, your crop's always gonna be short on it because that's bare minimum sulfur, bare minimum. Now, a lot of people tell you, oh, nobody knows what to do about sulfur. You know, nobody knows because there's not a good test. Look, Dr. William Albrecht tested for sulfur for 40 years before I ever met him. He knew what the numbers ought to be, and all I had to do was absorb them, and I can tell you since 1973 we've been working with sulfur and measuring it, and if you don't have sulfur you're hurting yourself. At least get it up above 20 parts per million even, I mean I'm not saying you can't make yields without sulfur. We made 30 30, 35 bushel soybeans for 20 years without putting on any fertilizer at all. No lime, no nothing. So yes, you can make, this is on heavy sharky clay soils in Southeast Missouri. Yes, you can make that, but those soils, we always thought that's the best they could do. But you know what? Those soils will make 80 bushel soybean. If you put the nutrients there, they'll make a little more than that if you do it right. Aids in seed production. If you're growing something for seed, Sulfur is needed to get top seed production. Any kind of a seed producing plant, we work with vegetable seed growers, we work with with all types of seed growers. If you're growing seed, or if you're even, you know, if you're growing seed, and even if you're not growing it for seed production, but you're producing seed, you need sulfur to produce that seed. It's necessary in chlorophyll formation, it's necessary to keep that plant green, and it helps with disease control. We'll get a little more specific as we go through. A sulfur deficiency impairs yield and quality, both. If you're looking for growing something with quality, we work with thousands of acres of wine grapes. And guess what? The biggest thing that's lacking in terms of quality for most wine grape growers is sulfur. They don't even realize it because they haven't, nobody's really told them what the importance of it is. But about the last thing we can get them to do is get their sulfur up where it needs to be. And all of a sudden they say, oh, we've got the fruitiness. we've been trying to get in these wines for a long time. So this program in terms of sulfur, we're not just talking about corn, wheat, and soybean. We use it on, on almonds, we use it on walnuts, we use it on all types of vegetables. And if you're below 20 parts per million, you're starving your, whatever it is you're growing. Ideal, in case we don't get to it, ideal sulfur level is 50 parts per million. Low side of excellent, high side of excellent is 100 parts per million. That means 100 to 200 pounds of sulfur in those soils. Not that you gotta go out and buy it every time, measure what you've already got, and then apply what it takes to get there. Tree crops, if you're growing orchard crops and so forth, once you get that sulfur on a woody type crop, and that includes cotton as well, it includes okra as well, it includes, uh, uh, brambles or cane crops, but once you get that sulfur above 50 parts per million, it'll give you a 25% increase in trunk growth by caliper measurement. You can measure with a caliper, it'll actually increase trunk growth by 25% a year. Now if it'll do that for wood, it'll do it for other things as well. Why is, uh, why do we need to look at sulfur? Because sulfur is like nitrogen. The form that we need to work in the plant is sulfate sulfur, and like nitrate nitrogen, it leaches out. It's hard to keep sulfur in the soil and as a general rule, unless you put on some insoluble sulfur like popcorn sulfur or sulfur rock, if you put on a good water soluble sulfur, that includes sulfur from gypsum that because it's in the sulfate form already, but even even water soluble elemental sulfur uh, the the best known elemental sulfur, because I work with about 75 countries, and you mentioned Tiger 90 in most any of those countries, and they know that sulfur, if they know sulfur. Now, I don't sell fertilizer, and so I'm not trying to promote one over another, but that's the one that generally is easiest to find, and that, even though that's elemental sulfur, don't let anybody talk you into saying, oh, it takes months before that works. On corn, it'll get in the corn seven days later, on wheat, it'll get, it'll be in there within seven days. Just put it on half a field, put 10 pounds of sulfur in with you, with well, your top just nitrogen on wheat, where well, you need the sulfur, and then stop in half the field. In seven days, you'll see right to the line where you put it. We've had farmer after farmer call and say, look, we can tell right where we stopped in seven days. And that's with elemental sulfur. That's not sulfate sulfur. It has to be water-soluble. Water-soluble, In if you just stick it in a glass and it dissolves, no, I'm not talking about that. Used to. There was a company in Texas called Mineola Sulfur Company and their sulfur was as soluble as any I'd ever seen. But another company bought them out and then shut the plant down, so don't even know where to get that anymore. Eagle Pitcher used to have it, but Tiger 90 works very well. If you put it on the soil and you get a rain, you can come back and still see it, it looks like half BBs or half moons. You can still see it, but there's enough of it that'll break down, it'll get into your corn crop. Get into your wheat crop, get into your bean crop, or whatever else you're growing, within seven days. Just try it and see. In terms of sulfur, I took this from a presentation by the Fertilizer Institute in the 1950s. And it says levels may increase with soil depth. I used it because some of these things have changed. Levels increase with soil depth if you're using sulfur. If you're not using sulfur, there are many soils where you don't see much sulfur in the in the deeper down into the soil, unless you've got a compaction layer. And on compaction layers, sulfur, there are three things that tend to accumulate on a compaction layer that we measure all the time. And that is sulfur, sodium, and boron. If you're measuring chlorides, they they tend to accumulate as well, uh, but they'll only accumulate if nitrates accumulate. Because so, uh, chloride, chloride can move through a soil just as fast as nitrates you got enough water to move the nitrates through, the chloride to get through too. If there's the hard pan there that collects the nitrates, you're gonna collect chloride too. But in terms of looking at sulfur, replenished primarily from fertilizers, pesticides and from sulfur levels in manure and compost. Measure what you think, if you think you're gonna get plenty of sulfur from manure or a compost, measure how much sulfur's in it. Most of the time it's hardly any. You don't get something for nothing. If you're not putting sulfur on what you're growing there to make the manure or compost out of, not a good chance that's gonna be very high in sulfur. The people that that actually grow the crops that have the sulfur in it, that's where the manure and the compost is gonna have better sulfur levels. Analyze your your compost. We analyze manures and composts of all kinds because we actually look at them to sell a client. How much of this can you, he'll say, how much can I put on per acre? Well, we'll take a look at the manure or the compost and most of the time in terms of sulfur, you get three to six pounds per ton, hardly any. Now there will be other areas where you're adding sulfur, but we're just talking in general. If I see a compost or a manure that has six pounds of sulfur per ton, I think, well, that's pretty good. It's not really. We'd like to have a whole lot better, better amount than that.
0: We'll rejoin Neil's presentation, but I wanted to take a moment and once again thank our sponsor, Topcon Agriculture, for supporting our No-Tool Farmer podcast series. From planting to precision machine control, NORAX boom height control, monitoring and mapping to data management, Topcon Agriculture offers a total set of solutions to maximize your agronomic plan. Find out how to make the most of your 4R nutrient stewardship with precision technology that is unmatched in ease of use. Visit topcompositioning.com backslash growing solutions to learn more about how TopCon agriculture application solutions make agronomy work for you. After understanding the importance of sulfur to crop production, It's essential for no-tillers to become familiar with the types of sulfur products available in the marketplace and how to use the valuable nutrient efficiently and effectively. Let's get back to the program and listen as Charleston, Missouri fertility expert Neil Kinsey shares important differences in sulfur sources that no-tillers should be aware of, considerations for sulfur application, how much sulfur is taken up by individual crops, and sulfur's order of importance as no-tillers address soil nutrient issues.
1: Although sulfur occurs in the soil as sulfate, SO4 ion, the major soil source is organic matter. Therefore, organic matter level and its rate of decomposition strongly influence sulfur availability. And it does Except so many people tell us, oh, we get all we need from our manure or compost. Well, is manure a good sulfur source? Just what I said, three to six pounds per ton? Not a very good sulfur source, unless you're putting on an awful lot of tons, and then you're probably gonna get in trouble on one of the other elements. Broadcast NPKS and traces. Now, this is the one thing that we try to tell people all the time. The first time I spoke at a no-till conference, Frank Lasseter told me, you know what the number one question of all the no-tillers, what they put down is number one that they want to hear about time after time, how you increase life in the soil. He said that's, that year after year, that's what they mark the most. How do you increase biology in the soil or soil life? If you want to increase biology in the soil, feed the soil. Feed the soil. If that's what you want, if, if you're going to get the, the biology up, so many people say, well, I just want to feed the plant. If you stick everything right down under the plant, number one is, I don't know anybody who really knows how much it needs if you just try to put it all right there. The question is, how much can it stand before you tie up something else? But that's why we say broadcast nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, sulfur. Broadcast it. And as far as trace elements, iron, manganese, copper, and zinc, you'd be better off if you broadcast those plus the boron because then you feed the entire spectrum of the biology in that soil. And unless you're extremely short, I, I'll uh, put a little bit of a caveat on this, but unless you're extremely short for most of these, broadcasting's gonna work just fine. To grow the crop, NPK and S, deficiencies first. Then, <coughs> Calcium and magnesium, then micronutrients. If we're talking about what's it going to do? What what can we use to grow the best crop this year? Well, if you're short on nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, or sulfur, that's going to make the most difference as a general rule. If you've got enough, not not great amounts, but if you have sufficient amounts of those, then you look at your limestone. If, you, if, you're, if you're short on one of the others up there, and I mean, in terms of soybeans, PK and S, if you're short on those, there are times when limestone will make more difference on soybean than PK and S. If you just barely got enough PK and S, but if, if you're short on one of those, that's gonna make a bigger difference for you than the lime is short term. Had a 3,000 acre wheat grower in Canada. He sent samples to us. We made the recommendation. He needed three tons of lime to the acre on 3,000 acres. He said, nobody up here puts on lime. He bought a lime spreader, bought trucks, started hauling lime, put li- saw him the next year at the program and he said, Neil, something's wrong. He said, we used your program, but our wheel wasn't any better than anybody else's. We put on all this limestone. I said, well, we need to sit down and talk. And I, he said, I've got my samples with me. After the second day, I showed this slide. I show it every time. He came up and said, No need to talk, I know, he said, I heard you say it last year. He said, you said NPK and S before lime. He said, we put on all that lime, but we didn't put on the sulfur you called for. He said, we didn't put any sulfur on because we spent all the money, you know, we spent our budget on limestone. Well, sulfur should have been first. He said, I'm going home, put on sulfur. Went home, put the sulfur on, he called the next year, and he said, now we're getting the results. It isn't a matter you can skip something. It's a matter of how do you look at the order, and as a general rule, if everything's short, that's the order. If everything's short. If everything were equally short, generally it's not. That's where prioritizing comes in. We see some soil that we'll tell you, you need to put trace elements on before you do anything else other than if it's corn, nitrogen, and then sometimes we'll say, after nitrogen, you need trace elements. It's gonna make you more difference than anything else you can do. Not often, but sometimes. Sulfur is a negatively charged anion. The anions nitrate, sulfate, borate. They're negative charges. That means they don't attach to the clay particles. It means they can be leached out easy. Sulfur generally stays around for about a year. Within a year, if you put on sulfate, sulfur, expect it's either been used or it's probably gonna be gone. The heavier the soil, the more that that is an exception. The higher your humus content, the more that's an exception. But on sandy soil with low humus content, we have to get on that year after year after year or that's going to be limiting. Sulfur and phosphorus. Both sulfur and phosphorus have a plant content of two tenths to four tenths of a percent. If you take crops and start analyzing and see well how much sulfur and how much phosphorus is going to be there, there are some some, uh, plants that there'll be more sulfur than there is phosphorus. There's some plants there'll be more phosphorus than sulfur. Corn is a little bit more phosphorus than sulfur, but vegetables there's more sulfur than phosphorus as a general rule. When you start looking though, we need both of them in, in uh, adequate amounts. And the excess sulfur antagonizes phosphate uptake as we said earlier, and excess phosphate antagonizes sulfur uptake. So if you're using a lot of phosphate but not using sulfur, you're hurting yourself. If you're using a lot of sulfur but at the expense, uh, if you're putting on huge amounts of sulfur like they do in the West because they've got high sodium or things of this nature, when you do that, you better be sure your phosphate levels are good. Build them up together. For sulfur fertilization, use sulfates and elemental sulfur. You can use, if you have the, if you're putting on something that has sulfates in it, count that for, look at how many pounds of elemental sulfur you're putting on in the sulfate form and count that. On the other hand, if you, can't, if you can't get enough sulfur by using sulfates, or if you put on the sulfates and you, you're still short on sulfur, use elemental sulfur to take care of it. S-Uptake for grain crops and grass, if you put on elemental sulfur on a corn crop and that really is short on sulfur, you can see it in seven days. If you fly over it, you can see it. Just put it on part of it and don't put it on the other part. 1990s, University of Missouri, where Dr. Albrecht actually was not where I met him and studied under him, but University of Missouri in the 1990s came out with a study and said sulfur doesn't increase corn yields in the state of Missouri. I had a lot of clients that were using a lot of sulfur and I thought, well, I'm gonna start getting some phone calls because every major ag publication published it. First guy that called said, Neil, did you see that article in the whatever magazine it was? Yeah, I said, I did see that, I said, you have a question oh no he said I just called to make sure you saw it I know you're gonna get a lot of calls he said I still remember that first year you said take that 40 acres and break it in half on one side put enough sulfur to get your sulfur levels up and on the other side do what you always done he said was 12 inches taller made 12 bushel more corn he said I know what sulfur does call after call after call people said that now, why would the experiment say one thing and the farmer's learning something else? You've got to look back and see how much they were experimenting with, because most people tell you corn needs 10 or 20 pounds of sulfur. If I told you that you need 10 or 20 pounds of phosphate, you're going to believe that's going to make you a crop? 10 or 20 pounds of phosphate if you're deficient in the soil? It's not. They, the experiment was no sulfur, 10 pounds and 20 pounds. They should have been experimenting with 50, 70 and 80 pounds because that's what makes your high yield corn. Now, if you're growing 135 bushel corn, we got some hill farmers down in Southeast Missouri that in a normal year on those hills, they may not make more than 135, but in a good year, they might make up to 150. But it's dry land, hill farms. In those kind of cases, we don't need 70 pounds of sulfur. In those kind of cases, we just try to keep it up above that 20 pounds that 20 parts per million, which is 40 pounds. But once you start getting up to 200, 250, that's when you need those higher amounts of sulfur. And if you're not putting it there, you're limiting what you can make. I'm not saying you can't make a good yield without it, but sulfur is going to have an effect on that. Nitrogen to sulfur ratio, 15 to one recommended for optimum plant growth. That's why I got a little bit of red there. That means watch out. That's not enough. When you sit down and figure it out, it's more like four or five to one. If, you, if you're gonna eliminate sulfur as a limiting factor at, in the ear leaf at tassel, you gotta get more like four to five to one, not 15 to one. When we start looking at putting on uh, enough sulfur to get to 80 pounds, well, when you start looking at that, we need 80 pounds of sulfur for 200 bushel corn, and on a really good soil, we'll figure we need one unit of nitrogen for, for each bushel of corn. So 200 units of N, that's, that's at best. There are soils that we'll have to put on 300 units of N to get the same 200 bushel corn. The higher your magnesium levels are in that soil, the more nitrogen it's gonna to take to go, the same yield. But when we start looking at an ideal soil, it takes 200 units of N and 80 units of sulfur. That's not 15 to one. The question is Would that ratio be the same on soybean? Soybeans, about uh, 60 bushel soybeans, and I'm just doing this from memory, but about 60 bushel soybeans I think needs about 35 pounds of sulfur. Now it needs that, but remember one thing. If we just say, well, we got 35 pounds here, do we have enough to make 60 bushel soybeans? Not generally, because that sulfur is going to leach away. And there's one thing most people don't think about. It's easy for a farmer to understand when we talk about nitrogen that if you've got crop residues there, the microbes are going to tie up nitrogen to break down the crop residues. Well, what do they need along with that nitrogen? They need some sulfur. As far as looking at sulfur on a, on a soybean, what I'd tell you is you want to be on, at least on the high side of mid-range. Take a look and see that you're on the high side of mid-range. Because if you're in the middle or on the low side, generally you're not using enough sulfur. So in the tissue test, just take a look to see where mid-range is and at least push it to the high side of mid-range. 60 bushel soybeans, 25 pounds of sulfur, that's what they're saying, 25, and 28 pounds of pea. Soybeans, about the same amount. Look at corn, 33 sulfur, 46 P. Wheat, 16 sulfur, 22 P. So wheat uses quite a bit more phosphorus than it does sulfur but soybeans are about even. And corn, depends on whose figure you use, and I'm trying to be generous to the phosphate side. Some figures you start looking at, they run neck and neck. Depends on whose figures you use. Sulfur deficiencies are most common in sandy or light textured soils, well-drained soils, and soils that have low organic matter or low humus content. In soils that have four or 5% humus, you can get by with 60 or 70 pounds of sulfur where in soil that have less than two and a half percent, we'd say you need 80 to 90 because you're gonna have a certain amount of sulfur that'll be released out of that humus over the growing season. The best sulfur levels on a soil test actually show up in August. As far as in the, here in the, uh, this area be, show up in the summertime. In the northern hemisphere, that'd be August, and the southern hemisphere would be heat of summer. That's when you'll see the best sulfur levels in your soil because the microbes are working and helping to release some from the humus content. So, you know, if you're taking a sample in the fall, then sulfur's not going to look as good as it does in May, June, July,
0: and August. One of the insights Kinsey shared, I think, is that soil is the major source of sulfur for crops. As it turns out, organic matter level and its rate of decomposition strongly influences sulfur availability. So I think that's just one more reason why no-till practices that improve soil organic matter levels are a wise choice for profitable crop production. Before we go back to the program, I'd like to take a minute to talk about the upcoming 2018 National No-Tillage Conference which will be held in Louisville, Kentucky, January 9th through the 12th, 2018. Featuring top experts with worldwide experience, this 26th annual event includes more than 100 money-making sessions and unlimited networking with the best of the no-till community. Register today for a discounted rate of just $329 at www.no-tillconference.com. Now let's return to the program and listen to Neil Kinsey discuss the impact sulfur can have on profitability with certain crops, the task of identifying sulfur deficiencies, and the importance of soil and tissue tests to help no-tillers verify and correct sulfur shortages.
1: Sulfur deficiency, light green or yellow coloration appearing in the youngest leaves first. Nitrogen appears in the oldest leaves, sulfur appears in the youngest leaves. If you walk in your cornfield, you look down in the world of that corn, you see those yellow stripes and most fields you see them, you don't have enough sulfur. You don't have enough sulfur early. If you walk in there and that's nice and green and you don't see any yellow stripes in that world, it, these yellow stripes here are from sulfur. It may be that you'll have something else that's deficient, but if, that, if you see a stripe like that, in a, most of the time we'll have clients and the last thing they'll do is put on the extra sulfur. Well, the last thing they'll do is put on extra copper. But in terms of the, in terms of the major elements, sulfur the one that gets pushed back because that's what, you know, you go to the fertilizer, you know, oh, you don't need that. And yes, you do. But when you see that, you come in and put the, about another 10 pounds of sulfur on one half the field, and don't put it on the other, and walk in there and see if it doesn't eliminate it. Now, it will eliminate that stripe, at least you got enough sulfur for there, but is that still enough sulfur to get you through the year? And what I tell you, just eliminating that stripe doesn't mean you've used enough sulfur. It, when you see that, it means you certainly have not. Sulfur deficiency shows up on the youngest leaves first. I had a fellow that was, uh, we were making recommendations for his uh, spring crops and they were putting on their last nitrogen application on their wheat. And on the last 80 acres, they got down to the last buggy load and the guy that was spreading the sulfur stopped and said, well the fertilizer company ran out of sulfur so we don't have our 10 pounds of sulfur in this last spread. A week later the guy called and said, come down here and look at this. Came down and we drove right along the road, and he said, if I didn't know better, I'd think we didn't put nitrogen on that last part of that 80 acres. Look how yellow it is. But they put the nitrogen on. They didn't put 10 pounds of sulfur on it. Just got out of the truck, walked out there and looked, and sure enough, the youngest leaves were yellow. If it was a nitrogen deficiency, it'd be the oldest leaves. If you got young leaves that are yellow, that's not nitrogen, that's sulfur. Only difference here is one of these got sulfur, the other didn't. had a client down in southeast Missouri. He he grew peanuts besides corn, beans, and wheat. His peanuts were always his pride and joy, and I'd always try to get him to fertilize his beans, but beans were a stepchild. You know, beans just got what's left over. Well, as long as you farm that way, you're not going to get the best bean yields. But he came to the meeting, saw this picture, and he said, that little bean looked like mine. And I said, that's because you need to be using that sofa we're recommending. You know what? The next year when I got there, he didn't take me to see his peanuts. He took me to see his soybeans. And he said, look how green these are. But he said, that's not really what I want to show you. This guy walked his own fields. He diagnosed if he had white mold or what diseases and so forth. He said, every year on my soybeans, we'll always get little places that die out from Phytophthora. And he said, we, you can't find it on my farm in my soybeans this year. He said, we don't have any phytophthora in our soybeans. He said, the only change I made was I put that sulfur in you told us to put it. Sulfur does fight diseases. Applying adequate amounts of sulfur can help reduce the incidence of disease by strengthening a plant's immune system. I'm not just saying that. That's from mineral nutrition of plant disease. If you want a book that talks the best about sulfur, Because most sulfur research was not done until the 1990s. If you start looking back in Marshner's book and Bergman's book and the the books that are used to stand up in court, they don't have much about sulfur in them because they were written in the 90s. But you get books that are written in 2000 or later that actually start incorporating the research that was done in the 1990s and all of a sudden there's a lot of new information on sulfur that's not really being disseminated that much. This is from Mental Nutrition of Plant Disease by Datanoff, Elmer, and Huber from American uh, Phytological Society Press, APS Press. It was published in 2007. That book had more information on sulfur than any one general book that I've seen as far as useful information. Another thing that came from it, as sulfur supply was increased in soils, reductions of the following diseases were noted in canola, white mold, and light leaf spot. In cereal grasses, rust and powdery mildew. Sulfur does help us fight rust and powdery mildew. In corn, southern leaf blight. In potatoes and wheat, root rot. In addition to reduction of diseases, sulfur acts as an acaricide and helps control mites. If you have mite problem, take a look at where your sulfur levels are. Now this is not me saying this, this is that book, but I'll tell you that, that's true, what they're telling you. Sulfur is a lot more important for it to use than most people take a look at. Phytophthora root rot a pathogen of soybean, that's what I was saying, the fellow that took me to see his soybeans instead of his peanuts. He said, we don't have phytophthora in our soybeans. <laughs> Sulfate sources immediately available to the plant roots? Yes, they are. Non-sulfate sources require chemical process before available to the plant. There is research on alfalfa that says you, you put on elemental sulfur and you don't get any response for up to 24 months. That's because they use the insoluble sulfur. If you use a good water-soluble sulfur, you'll get a response on any crop within a matter of one to two weeks. Water-soluble sulfur will work really quick and you can test it out by putting it on a part of a field, not on the other portion where you need sulfur. Don't, if you can't get sulfate sulfur, don't let somebody talk you out of putting on elemental sulfur unless you get a real cheap source. I had a guy from Montana, he said, I found some sulfur for five cents a pound. Well, it was rock sulfur, crushed rock, crushed, crushed rock sulfur. Five years later, you can still find it because it's not soluble. It's the, the solubility is what matters. And if you get, if you get a sulfur with, a, with a plenty of water molecules in the chain so it'll dissolve, It'll work just fine. Elemental sulfur will work almost as fast, if not as fast as sulfate sulfur. An adequate amount of sulfur results in improved palatability. If you've got something you're selling for taste, always look at where your sulfur levels are. It makes a difference in nuts. It makes a difference in grapes. It makes a difference in vegetables. It makes a difference in your grass for your cattle. It'll make a difference in alfalfa. I've had clients that, would say, well, you know, should I use, uh, what what source of potassium should I use on my alfalfa? And I say, are you selling it or are you using it? Well, if it's a dairyman and he's using it, then the first thing I'll tell him is, okay, go out there and you need potassium, put potassium chloride on half that field and put potassium sulfate on the other half. First thing you'll see when you come back, um, three different dairymen up by Champaign, Illinois back in the 19, late 70s, early 80s, and got to the first place, and I said, well, uh, the, the field he did, uh, he did the experiment was right out beside the house, and I said, don't tell me which side you put the, the potassium sulfate on or which side was the potassium chloride, let's just go walking out in the field. So we went walking out into the field, and I said, uh, you sprayed anything on here that you wouldn't dare take a bite of it? Well, he hadn't, so just reach down and take a bite. If it's sweet, that's the side you use potassium sulfate on. If it's bitter, that's the side you use potassium chloride on. It works. It works time and again. If you wonder about taste, just anything that we sell for taste, we tell if, if it matters for sweetness or, or improved taste, sulfur makes the difference. It's not, it's not the, a matter that the potassium did it, it was what was with the potassium. If you're going to sell your alfalfa someplace else and nobody pays you for taste, Potassium chloride always cheaper than potassium sulfate, but you know it's a matter of looking for what do you get back. Increase sulfur increases protein content. We've talked about that already, but I mean we'll have people call up and say, you know, I, I had a fellow that worked for Monsanto when he came back home to farm with his dad down in Tennessee, and when they were harvesting soybeans, he called me with his cell phone. This was back when they had the bag phones, and he said, Neil. Do your clients all get 60 pound test weight on soybeans? I said, I don't believe I've ever had a client tell me what the test weight was on soybeans. He said, well, I worked for Monsanto for years on soybeans and he said, you have a hard time finding anybody that has a 60 pound test weight on soybeans and he said, every one of our fields has 60 pound test weight. Every one of them. Well, the other part of of it is the protein levels come up. Now, the test weight is not just sulfur. Sulfur will help you with that, but you've got to get down and get enough manganese and copper and zinc in there as well. Reduce nitrate content. If you've got a problem with nitrates in your feeds or whatever, sulfur helps reduce nitrate content in feeds. Get your sulfur levels up. I'm not saying do dangerous things, but I'm always saying that if you have, if you, the, the better you balance out your sulfur, the less problem you're going to have with nitrate in your feeds. This is something you can see easy, and that is increased rooting ability. Anything you're growing underground, if you're growing an onion, if you're growing garlic, if you're growing tulip bulbs, if you're growing potatoes, if you're growing roots, and everybody's growing roots. Take a look and see what difference sulfur makes, and it it doesn't have to be elemental sulfur, it can be elemental sulfur, and this is not really the case, I just found this A a, a friend of mine gave me this to put on here, and I'm not even sure where this picture came from. And I don't use it to try to overdo anything because it increases rooting ability 30 to 50%. Well, the story that I'm gonna tell you is about a fellow that grew about 3,000 acres of uh, wheat in southeast Missouri. And we came in and started working well. His fertilizer dealer told him for three years he needed to work with us, and he said, you can't tell me somebody from 60 miles away can tell me better what to do than my dad who's farmed here all my life. So, he, for three years he didn't do anything, but one day he called and said, well, Neil, the fertilizer dealer told me I need to talk with you, but now the banker said I did. <laughs> <laughs> so he said, I'm gonna take 300 acres out of our 3,000 acres and put it into your program, but you test the 300, but 150 we're gonna treat the way we always did, and the other 150 we're gonna treat like you say. Well. That was on wheat. About a month later, I'm driving down to meet another client. And he comes and meets me on the road and flashes his lights and whips around behind me and says, come back here and look at this. He said, I've gone and dug, I've gone and dug roots out of every wheat field, your side and our side. And look at the difference, this ammonium, sol- well, you, we told him to use ammonium sulfate and he would use ammonium nitrate. He said, look at the difference this ammonium sulfate made on these root systems. And I said, no, that's not really a fair test because on your side, we recommended trace elements and other things, but on your side, you know, you've got to count those two. And he said, he sort of looked at the ground, looked back, and he said, well, Neil, we actually did everything you said on all of it, except on one side we used ammonium nitrate and on the other side we used ammonium sulfate. He said, that's the only difference. But he had a third more roots in a month's time on his wheat crop. He'd gone and dug up in every one of those fields and came to show you. You get root systems from that. Are there accurate soil tests for sulfur? When Sulfur Institute uh, started publishing sulfur research back in the 1990s, it was really interesting. I'd look at articles because there were all kinds of articles in farm magazines saying, well, does a farmer need to use sulfur? And some articles said, no, you don't. Other articles said, yes you do, and you sort of look through and you can tell by the time it was over, that the ones that said, yes you do, that was sponsored by a fertilizer company that was selling sulfur. And the one that said, no you don't, was sponsored by a fertilizer company that wasn't selling sulfur. I won't name the name, but it was right here in the Midwest, one big company bought out another company. That big company that was always saying you didn't need sulfur till it bought out the company that now they had sulfur to sell, All of a sudden, right in the middle of the stream, the article changed. Now the the farmer did need sulfur. But you know the question you need to ask there is, is the test something that you can count on when you go out in the field? Because there are lots of different ways to measure sulfur and most universities until maybe this has changed in recent time, but in the 80s and 90s, most universities didn't do a sulfur test. If they had a sulfur test done, they'd send it out, have a private lab do it and get it back. As a consequence, if you don't go out in the field and and start looking and seeing, well, where does the number need to be when I get a good response? Now, I tell you, Dr. Albrecht had already been out in the field because he did go into the field, and he had 40 years of work looking at sulfur tests before I ever came along. It was just a matter of being a sponge and saying, well, what should the levels be? In those articles though, the ones that said you didn't need sulfur would always point out, well, there's no reliable sulfur test. Well, if there's no reliable sulfur test, how do you know you don't need sulfur? Well, there is a reliable sulfur test. You can get good sulfur tests. It's just a matter of learning what the numbers need to be on the particular one you use because the numbers don't come out the same from one soil test to another. And don't ever expect that that's going to happen because there are too many different methods and too many different ways of, of measuring and reporting sulfur. So the figures that I'm telling you works on the tests we do, but somebody else's test, they might tell you, you don't need that much, and as long as they know what that means in the field, you need it, they know more about it than we do. Sulfur is the missing link. As far as I'm concerned, when you look at nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium, the next one you need to put in there to grow your crop this year and make sure you have enough sulfur.
0: We'd like to sincerely thank Neil Kinsey of Kinsey Ag Services in Charleston, Missouri, for sharing his insights and experiences on the importance of sulfur management in crops to help no-tillers optimize yields in the bottom line. For those listeners who would like to hear more than a dozen tips from no-tillers about how they use fertilizer more efficiently and responsibly on their farm, please visit no slash podcasts. Again, we'd like to recognize and thank our sponsor, TopCon Agriculture, for helping to make this No-Till Farmer podcast series possible. If you have any feedback on today's episode, feel free to drop me an email at jdauberstein at or give me a call at 262-777-2430. Once again, if you haven't done so already, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or the Google Play Store to get an alert when future episodes are released. You can also keep up on the latest no-till farming news by registering online for our No-Till Insider daily and weekly email updates and Dryland No-Tiller e-newsletter. And be sure to follow us on Twitter at No-Till Farmer with farmer spelled F-A-R-M-R and on our No-Till Farmer Facebook page. For Neil Kinsey, TopCon Agriculture, and our entire staff here at No-Till Farmer, I'm Senior Editor John Dobberstein.